This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. So today is the last of our summer series, and it's, we've been looking at celebration, which, let's face it, over the last 18 months with COVID and crashing out the Euros and the weather this summer, we need something to look forward to. Amen? Now, today I'm going to read from Revelation. We're going to look at chapter 19, verse 7 to 9, the wedding of the Lamb. And this will be the second time that I've actually spoken on Revelation. I love this book. I know sometimes it's really confusing, and to be honest, it gets a bit weird. But if we go a bit deeper, we actually see how amazing it is, and we see glimpses into eternity. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go for it together. Revelation 19, verse 7 to 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. God, we just thank you that you're here today. We thank you that this isn't just a big building that we meet in and we talk about you. No, you're here with us. Your presence is here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill each and every person in this room. God, I just pray for the people that don't yet know you. Today would be that day that you're knocking on their heart and today would be the day that they answer. I pray that you speak to all of us through me today, Jesus. Help the words that I'm gonna say be the message that you want people to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I start, we need to look at a few things. Firstly, like Joe mentioned earlier, and just to let you know how we work here, me and Joe are not in sync. You know, I barely speak to Joe, to be honest. (laughs) But I love Joe. But he brought something earlier, and the, the, the the thing is, If you know Jesus and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're invited to a celebration. Your name is on the guest list because it's written in God's word and it can't be unwritten, as Joe mentioned earlier. And it's something for us to look forward to. Like any book of the Bible, we need to, for us to fully understand what's going on, we need to know who wrote it, we need to know what was going on, and then we need to look at what kind of context it was written in. So the book of Revelation was written by John. John was one of the 12 disciples who was with Jesus for around three years. And he was actually the disciple that Jesus turned to on the cross and said, look, John, look after my mum." Now, when John wrote this, all the other disciples had been killed for refusing to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. And the Romans were persecuting the Christians. They were feeding them to lions. They were burning them in the streets. And they tried to kill John as well. They tried to poison him, but he survived. So they exiled him on the island of Patmos, away from all his friends, away from all his family, away from his comforts. But as we read through the book of Revelation, we see that John is probably closer to God than he's ever been in his life as he gets glimpses into eternity that he shares with us. So that's the who and the what was going on. Now we need to look at 
the kind of context. But to do this, we need to understand and we need to learn a little bit about Jewish culture. That helps us understand the importance of what was written. For this passage, it's great to understand how important a marriage was and how it was arranged. In Jewish culture, marriage was a massive deal. Don't get me wrong, it's a big deal now, but in Jewish culture, it was massive. Now, it's not like today. It's not like boy meets girl, they get on, they date a bit, they get engaged. No, the father of the bride and the father of the groom play a massive part in the, arranged, in the arrangement of a marriage. Now, the father of, of the groom, he chooses a wife-free son, but he don't just choose anyone. He wants to choose the best, and we'll, it's really important, but we'll look at that a bit later. And he gives a price for the bride to, the, to, the, to her father. And it has to be agreed by the bride and her father before anything can move forward. And this is important because in those days, Jewish culture, sons were worth more than daughters. I know it sounds brutal, but it's true because sons could plant, they could build, they could basically add wealth to the family, but daughters couldn't. So that price had to be right. And it had to show honor to the bride's father to, to basically say, look, you have raised a wonderful potential wife for my son. Now, once the price was set and it's agreed, the couple are then known as betrothed. And it's kind of what we would say, like, engaged. But the, the groom doesn't get to chill and just enjoy, enjoy time with his wife-to-be. No, he's got to go away and prepare a place for her. So he has to do two things. First, he has to prepare a bridal suite or like a honeymoon suite. This was usually a room built onto his father's house where the day of the wedding he would consummate his marriage, but he also had to build a family home. And he usually done that on the father's land as well. So there was no chill. He had a bit of graft ahead of him. <laughs> now, when it was ready, he would have to go and get the bride, but he usually probably do this with his best man, maybe a couple of ushers, and it would be a lad thing. It wouldn't be quiet. Now. Remember, the bride knows she's getting married. She's probably in the village. She can probably see people darting about, getting the festivities ready. She knows the groom is preparing a place for her, but she doesn't quite know when. So in the midst of all the excitement and getting caught up in everything, she has to make sure she's ready. Now, Jesus knows these customs, and... When we understand this, we see it in a lot of what Jesus says. Remember, we start getting a clear picture, but the Jewish people in them times, when Jesus spoke, a lot of what he said would have been as clear as day. The choosing of the bride, how important it is, because we're the bride of Christ. That's us. But unlike I just mentioned, God didn't choose the best. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here. He chose the least, but in the groom, we are made perfect and blameless because that's what Jesus has done for us. When he took our place and died on the cross, we get to get his righteousness. So let's break it down. The price, the price of us being made righteous was the highest price ever. It required Jesus to be beaten and mocked and crucified and go to the cross and take our sins so much so that the Bible says he became sin so we become his righteousness that was the exchange 
That was the price. And he paid it. He agreed with the Father and he paid it in full. So we've been chosen. The price has been set. The price has been agreed and paid for. Now we need a place. And we see this in John 14, verse 2. Jesus says, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is why Jesus says these things. So we've been chosen. The price was set. The price was paid. The place has been prepared. All we need now is the groom to come and get us. And this is why the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus talks about in Matthew is so important. If you remember, he talks about the ten virgins. Now, some of them, they had enough oil in their lamps because the master came and he came late. But some of them had run out of oil and they asked the others, look, can we have some oil? And they don't get any. And they miss out on the celebration. And Jesus is saying this to remind us, look, you don't know when I'm coming. Don't be like these. Don't get caught unaware. Be ready. And it's really important that we know that because that's what Jesus, I feel, wants to remind us today of who we are, what price he's paid for us, and for us to be ready. This is important because we see it all through the Bible. All through the Bible, nobody knows God's timing. Only the Father knows. But we don't want to be caught out. Now, that in a nutshell is the importance of marriage in Jewish culture. Now, understanding these things has been massively helpful. You know, I think we can all agree I'm not a scholar. Don't all look shocked, will ya? <laughs> Brutal. But if we go a bit deeper, I promise you won't regret it. You start to understand what God is actually saying in his word and you start to understand more of God's nature and it helps us build our relationship. Now verse 7 is such a great verse. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come, the lamb being Jesus and his bride has made herself ready. That's us, we're the bride. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ, which he loves so much. As I just mentioned, he was prepared to pay that price for us. And we see this in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wife, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This verse is so important because now we've seen the context in what is written. We see how much the church means to Jesus. That's why... In the Bible, the church isn't described as individuals, as groups, as people. No, they use words like body and bread. We're whole, we're one. And I heard this a while ago, and it blew my mind at the time, so I thought I'd share it. John 17, 20, 21. This is Jesus saying this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray that also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them would be one. Now, this is a great verse if you've ever struggled or you're struggling with unanswered prayer. Because this is basically Jesus praying for us to be one, for us to be unified. And if we look at the church, it's not unified. It's massively divided. Let's, let's face it, look, we're sinners who sin. Unity in this room sometimes can be a struggle, let alone the global church. 
But Jesus was praying for the church. He was praying for you and me. The world is full of restless people. There's sin everywhere. In in the news, in our family, in our community. What was once considered evil is now considered the norm. In this world, anyone who stands firm in God's word is almost like a threat or narrow-minded. We live in a postmodern world that believes that there is no such thing as real truth. Truth is subjective. You know, what's true for you might not be true for me, but it doesn't make it any less true. It makes no sense. You know, this jumper is black. I can't say it's black for me, but gray for you, but it doesn't make it any less gray. It's one or the other. I've heard the gospel referred to as outdated or intolerant. We can't just create a truth to suit our needs because what we're doing is we're trying to make ourselves sovereign. We're trying to make ourselves God. Over the last 50 years in the UK, there's been a drop in church attendance. I read a poll from 2019 that said, out of all the people they asked up and down the country, 11% of the people who identified themselves as a Christian attended a church. Now, I know you've got to take these polls with a pinch of salt, but let's say the poll was way out. Let's say it was more like 50%. Where's the other 50% of the body? The sad thing is, when we all get to meet together and we're all back in one room, we're going to look around and unfortunately, for whatever reason, there's parts of the body that are no longer with us. The dangerous thing is, over the last 18 months, is believing that church can just be indoors. You know, I don't really need to meet with anyone. I don't really need to see anybody expressing spiritual gifts. I don't really need to worship with anybody else. As long as I have Jesus, then I'm all right, I'm comfortable. And I know, I know this is hard hitting, but it was hard for me writing this, but it's important that when we're reading and we're understanding and standing firm in God's word, because when these sort of things come along, we can notice it and we don't compromise. Now, the way we look at it at the moment is the bride isn't the bride that Jesus died for, but we can still be that bride. We need to understand the church that Jesus did die for, and we need to strive to be that church. Remember, what we do to the groom, we do to the bride. If you remember the story of Saul, before he became Paul and wrote all the, the book, loads of books in the Bible, he's going around and he's persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison. And he's on the road to Damascus and he gets stopped in his tracks by Jesus. But what's more interesting is what does Jesus say to him? Acts 9 verse 4. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting those believers? Why are you persecuting the church? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Because we're meant to be one with Jesus. 
We are the church. We are the body. We are the bride. We are ambassadors of Jesus. And what we do, it matters. Because one day, like in Matthew 25, the goats will be separated from the sheep. And we will have to give an account for our life. Not for our sin. Our sin has been dealt with. But we will have to give an account for our lives. We don't want to be people living in church, but with no real dependency on God. We are not weak people, broken beyond repair. We're sinners saved by an amazing God in control of all things, working all things through us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to live with joy and peace, to live gloriously until we one day meet him. And like I read, like I mentioned earlier, we've been chosen and names are on the guest list and that can't change. We are part of God's plan to see more people invited to the celebration. Like, think about that for a moment, that God would use you and me to bring more people into the celebration. It's amazing. Like, what an adventure. How exciting is that? That's why verse 8 says, fine linen, bright and clean. Not for anything we've done, but through what Jesus has done on the cross. We get a, a clean slate. We get a fresh start day after day after day. Now, it sounds too good to be true. And I think, if I'm honest, when I first come to know Jesus, I used to struggle with this because I used to love the fact that Jesus has forgiven my sins. But where I constantly messed up, I used to think, oh, is, is his mercies really brand new every day? Because I really hope they are. But that's why it's so important that we keep coming back to God's word and understand it. A lot of us might not enjoy reading. I am in that camp. I, I, Tiff will tell you, I don't enjoy reading, but this book isn't Harry Potter. This isn't here to entertain us. It's here to feed our souls. It's here to deepen our relationship with Jesus, help us understand his nature. It's here for our good. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robes of righteousness. Psalm 132 verse 9. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints Sing for joy. We're saints. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Verse 9. By far was the hardest verse for me to write about because if I'm honest... I constantly forget how blessed I am. And I'm not talking about worldly blessings, but let's face it, if we live in this part of the world, we're pretty blessed. The last 
couple of weeks in our house have been mental. It's literally, do you ever feel sometimes that every day is a new problem? Like, honestly, like, over the last couple of weeks, I felt like I'm living in a Jim Carrey movie. Like, my wife would say, yeah, definitely the Grinch. But it's more like a series of unfortunate events. Honestly, every day has been something new. So we went on holiday to get away from our problems. <laughs> As we all do, come on. Only for the last day of our holiday, our car to break down. And we had to wait, our, our new car, by the way, and we had to get a new car because a week before our holiday, someone was speeding, wasn't even looking up at the road and went head on into us and ripped our car off. But our new car broke down on the last day of our holiday and we had to wait the whole day for the AA to tow us back to London. And we finally get back to, to London with two tired kids, a tired dog. We get back about midnight to find that our kitchen, honestly, our kitchen's so small after two months still wasn't finished. Now, I'm not saying this to get any sympathy because, let's face it, with everything that's going on in the world, these aren't even real problems. But it's what I'm living through. Now, it's what I did next. It's what I did next that reminded me and pointed out that I'd lost my focus. I'd lost what's most important. My eyes were not fixed on Jesus. Now, in the middle of all the madness of sorting our car out, a day before we went on holiday, I forgot to pay the Dartford crossing. So I got home, and a nice letter was sitting there for me saying, uh, Mr. Clark, yeah, 70 quid fine for you. <laughs> oh, who said that? I love that. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I woke up in the morning, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pay the fine. It's, it's down to stupidity. And I phoned Dart Charge up fully expecting to pay it, and they said, look, it's your first ever time this has happened, you get one strike. So don't worry about the 70 quid, just pay the five pound. Honestly, I couldn't have got that card out any quicker. Like, <laughs> Let me read you the card details now before he changes his mind. And I got off the phone, I was buzzing, and I turned to Tiff, and I said, thank you, Jesus, expecting a amen. But the wonderful wife God has blessed me with, no, she didn't say amen, no. Her actual words were, was you thanking Jesus in the middle of all our problems? And followed it with, you know, God's not a genie. He's not here for you to rub and pop up and fix your problems. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, I think, you know, you would expect me to like see sense in it and just be like, Do you know what, you're right. Like, I just walked out the room. The problem is, we live in a two-bedroom. She followed me out. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is how it went. She followed me out, quoting the Bible. John 16:33, to be precise. She said, I have told you these things so you will have peace in me. In this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And then I wake up the following morning... I look at my phone and my Bible app gives me that exact first. It's like God thinks I don't listen to my wife or something. <laughs> Scandalous. But it's true. In this world, we will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome this world. And, they, and we now look 
to a celebration to come. The whole summer series has been about a celebration, a celebration to come that would be so amazing that the Bible says no eye can see or no mind can fathom. A celebration that doesn't end, that there is no discomfort, that it's not dictated by circumstances. There's no unfortunate events. It's a celebration with the Father, and if we've accepted Jesus into our life, we're invited. We might be at this celebration in 50 years' time. We might be in this celebration in 50 days' time. We might be at this celebration in the next 50 minutes. The point is, we don't know. But what we do know is, amidst all the madness, Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail because that's what the Bible says. That's real truth. He loves the church so much that he was prepared to die for her. That's real truth. The church has been made perfect and blameless through what Jesus did by paying that ultimate price. That's real truth. And we know that he has prepared a place for us. And we have to be ready. That's real truth. Nick, can I ask you to come back on? In a moment, I'm going to finish up and we're going to worship one more time together. And I'd really like us to reflect on on Jesus paying that price, on preparing a place for us. I want us to remember that we are the beautiful bride of Christ that he values so highly that he loves so much. And I want us to remember that we need to be ready. We don't want to be caught out. We don't want to be a goat separated from the sheep. We want to be living fully committed, everything in, until the day we stand before him. Let us be a church that cares about the whole body, that shows the love of Jesus in every circumstance. And I know that is so hard sometimes, but remember, we don't do it on our own. We're filled with the Holy Spirit to help us every step of the way, whatever the circumstance. Because remember, there is trouble, but what? Jesus has overcome it all. Let us be a church that submits to the will of the Father over our own desires, over our own passion, over our own comfort. Let us live with peace and joy, knowing Jesus, not us, Jesus is in control. Let us keep our eyes on the celebration to come and let us stay ready.